Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove, and today I'd like to talk about William James' involvement in the field of psychical research, or the study of basically the study of life after death, the effort to come up with scientific evidence that would confirm the spiritualist hypothesis that we survive the death of our physical body. The Society for Psychical Research was founded in England in 1882, and William James was there in England at that time, uh, visiting his brother, Henry James, the famous novelist. And uh, Henry James was living in England and had become uh, acquainted with and familiar with a an interesting clique of people, is sometimes described as the Sidgwick group. It included the philosopher Henry Sidgwick, and it included his wife Eleanor, who was a sister to Gerald and Arthur Balfour, members of the British ruling class. Now, Arthur Balfour, I might mention parenthetically, later became Prime Minister of England and also served uh, as president of the Society for Psychical Research. In fact, interestingly, William James became president following the uh, presidency of Arthur Balfour in 1894. So, one could say at the outset that the Society for Psychical Research was basically founded by members of the Sidgwick group, including F.W.H., Myers, who uh, was the <laughs> author of the classic book published post-mortemly uh, after his death, Human Personality and Its Survival of Bodily Death. Uh, this book is such a classic uh, that it is uh, <laughs> regarded today uh, as, as one of the great achievements of the field of psychical research and of conventional psychology. The British Psychological Association had a, a special celebration in the year 2003, as I recall, commemorating the 100-year anniversary of that book. So, Whereas parapsychology is something of a fringe science in the United States and psychical research uh, has often had a bad reputation, in England it was equated with high society, with the intellectual elite and with even the uh, upper classes, the ruling classes, because Britain is and was a class-oriented society with its aristocracy. So, uh, William James was very comfortable uh, in those circles, and he became active in the Society for, for Psychical Research right from the beginning. In fact, even before that, going back as early as I recall to 1869, he had written uh, some book reviews about uh, books relating to spiritualism, and he uh, reviewed them favorably. Now, we have to appreciate that spiritualism was a huge fad all across Europe and the United States at, at this time. There were, um, I mean, the way you might think of the consciousness movement today, human potential movement, the uh, psychedelic drug use sweeping uh, across the country and across the world. Well, in the 19th century, it was spiritualism. 
And naturally, the spiritualists were making an interesting claim. They were claiming that communication between uh, the dead and the living was possible. It also implied that there was such a thing as a spirit or a soul of a dead person that would leave the physical body at death and exist in some other reality. That's the basic claim. Now, I can say this. William James' father, Henry James, was horrified by spiritualism because he was a student of Swedenborg. And Swedenborg maintained that there's another world, there is another realm, a spiritual realm, but it's completely non-physical. It has, outside of space and time, altogether, it is unrelated to anything that could be tested scientifically, whereas the spiritualists were claiming something a little different. The very idea that communication is possible suggests that the dead, the realm of the dead, the happy place, the summer land, there were many euphemisms for it, but it's a real place. It exists somewhere. And therefore, it's amenable to testing. We don't know where it exists, but the very fact of communication suggests the possibility of empirical testing. And to Henry James Sr., that was blasphemous, actually, and, and a kind of horrifying prospect. But William James was an empiricist. He saw things differently. He recognized that the spiritualists were making a claim that ought to be, in principle, testable scientifically. And he devoted much of his life, uh, the last 30 years of his life or so, were devoted to uh, seeing that test through to see if we could come up with evidence for survival. Now, I should say that uh, recently, a book has been published, which uh, probably for the time being is going to be the standard by which academics in particular are going to look at William James' involvement in psychical research. The book is titled, William James, Psychical Research and the Challenge of Modernity by Christer Dillon Knapp. And uh, I reviewed this book in preparation for this talk today. And I have to say this, Knapp approaches the entire subject very thoroughly. The book is nearly 400 pages, and it's devoted exclusively to William James' involvement in the field of psychical research and how to make sense of it. And it's not the only book. There have been many books looking at this because, after all, William James is regarded as one of America's greatest intellects. So, William James is, by many people, the greatest of American philosophers and uh, a scholar of importance. So, the fact that he devoted 30 years of his life to psychical research, even if you think psychical research is total bunk, uh, it still is 
food for thought. It still makes scholars pause and say, why did such a great man as William James devote so much time and energy to it? And there have been different theories expressed. Uh, the typical mainstream academic view is that, you know, William James, of course, a great man, a philosopher, the founder of American psychology, the founder of religious studies in the United States. But his interest in psychical research was a passing fancy, you know, it was a hobby and something uh, he probably really regrets uh, ever being involved in. It was a big mistake. Now, Dylan Knapp or Christer Dylan Knapp takes the approach in his book that psychical research was, and he uses this word, pseudoscience. He's taking the point of view that is probably as far as he could go within the, the respected traditions of academia. Uh, he said, yeah, it was a pseudoscience. Nothing really came out of it. It was a, a, a big mistake, but it was crucial for William James because James was trying very hard to reconcile the scientific spirit with the religious spirit. How could you do that? And James thought, well, if we have scientific evidence proving life after death, we can reconcile religion and science. And that was his great goal. That's what he was devoted to. He was an empiricist. He was mostly noncommittal throughout all of his career. So Knapp, again, he's, he's saying psychical research was central to William James' thinking. It wasn't peripheral. It wasn't just a passing fancy. And we have to pay close attention to it, even though it was, in his view, a pseudoscience. Now, let me tell you that I don't regard psychical research as a pseudoscience. And uh, Knapp, in his book, suggests that people like me, parapsychologists, are altogether too favorable towards William James' involvement. But consider this. The American psychologist, just I think in the last few weeks, has published a major review of parapsychology research. Over 1,700 experiments were included in the meta-analyses of parapsychology research. And uh, this article that I'm referring to cites all of these meta-analyses. The meta-analyses themselves include 1,700 individual studies published in peer-reviewed refereed journals and with enormously significant statistical results and, according to the article, very good methodology. So that is the latest pronouncement on the field of parapsychology, which of course is an outgrowth of psychical research from within the flagship journal of the American Psychological Association. So, to the extent that parapsychology is an outgrowth of psychical research, it is a respected and established science. It is uh, the Parapsychological Association is an organization affiliated with the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And the American Psychological Association has put its stamp now 
on an, a what you would call a meta meta analysis, an analysis of all the other meta analyses relating to parapsychological data. That's the um, as far as I'm concerned, and all right, I'm, I, you could say I'm biased. I am a parapsychologist, but I think that uh, Dylan Knapp's book is short-sighted in calling psychical research a pseudoscience, and it is a bias that pervades the book, although in most every other regard, I think uh, Christopher Dylan Knapp has done a good job of analyzing William James' interest. And, of course, it's natural. This bias against the possibility of uh, paranormal phenomenon pervades academia, so I can hardly blame the man. It's just that he's wrong. And I think over time, if we look back in another hundred years, I think people will see things differently. William James understood this about parapsychology, although the term wasn't in use in his own lifetime. It had been coined, but it wasn't widely used until the 1930s. But one can think of, and I think of parapsychology, as just an outgrowth of psychical research. They're rather synonymous. But here's the difference. In the 19th century psychical research modality, the main methodology is what you could call the case study methodology. It's not that different from case studies that are done in anthropology and sociology. It's not that different from uh, the work of a lawyer preparing a case to present in a courtroom. In other words, it's a very rigorous methodology. It's used in science and it has uh, proven itself as a very good way to get at facts, to get at the truth. But what it is not is what parapsychology has largely been built upon, which is the experimental method with advanced statistics double and double blinds and all kinds of controls to prevent sensory leakage and fraud. In case studies, you don't have the, the same level of rigor that you have in experiments. Now, I can look back now, because we've had parapsychology since the 1930s, nearly 80 years of parapsychology and another uh, 50 years or so of psychical research before that. And let me point out that the case study method of psychical research is still ongoing. There are people today who feel that it yields more worthwhile information than the experimental method. Both methods have their drawbacks. But in any case, they are related to each other. So, um, if you want to convince scientists, the best way to do it is to have a repeatable experiment that can be confirmed over and over again in many different laboratories around the world. And uh, that's what the method of parapsychology has now accomplished. That's what psychical research failed to accomplish because all they had was case study after case study after case study. It didn't have the same weight. But to be honest, let's take a look at the book published in 1903, the pinnacle of uh, the 
work of the Society for Psychical Research, Frederick Meyer's great book, Human Personality and Its Survival of Bodily Death. I think it's fair to say that the insights contained in that book have barely been surpassed in uh, the century uh, following. Of, I, now, I say barely, but I could probably point to a dozen different lines of, of research and understanding that we now have in parapsychology that go beyond what Myers knew in 1903. However, most of the important basics about psychic functioning and the paranormal can be found in that book. The refinements are important, but I, I would say the case study method enabled scholars such as Myers and William James to understand the phenomenon practically as well as we do now a hundred years later. So, William James was on to something, I'll say that. What did he contribute to the field of psychical research? Probably his main contribution was his discovery of the medium Leonora Piper. And, and to be honest, Leonora Piper was discovered by William James' wife, Alice, who had lost a child and was bereaved and uh, went to spiritualist seances, as many people did, in order to find some emotional comfort to deal with their grief. It's one of the main reasons spiritualism swept all across the Western world. And it turned out that Leonora Piper was a uh, local person in the Boston community. William James was a Harvard professor at the time. And uh, she was it, it lived not far from the Jameses. And she attended seances, and she invited her husband to attend. And uh, consistently, people were impressed with, number one, the sincerity and honesty of Mrs. Leonora Piper, as well as by the quality of the data that she produced. The spirits supposedly speaking through her were very impressive at the dramatic level. And William James, in his writings, trying to make sense of, do spirits really exist? Kept saying, uh, yes, if you look at the dramatic possibility, the dramatic probability, the dramatic likelihood, the um, dramatic evidence was very persuasive to William James. If you were like watching a, a movie, you would say that movie really, it sold me on its premise. But he knew as a scientist, as an empiricist, that the evidence could be stronger. And he literally attended hundreds of seances during his career. And he attended those seances at at a time when he was at the peak of his intellectual ability, writing his best work in psychology and in philosophy. And there's a sense in which the, his interest in psychical research contributed to uh, his overall philosophy, his theory of pluralism. Now, the theory of pluralism is very important because James believed that if humans are to 
have free will, and we assume that we do, generally speaking, it's not likely that free will would be compatible with a monistic view of the universe. Either monistic materialism would be incompatible with free will because from the monistic materialistic perspective, everything is caused. Every every effect has a cause. And if that's the case, then there's no room for free will. Nor is it compatible with a monistic view, uh, a religious view of uh, the uh, omnipotent God, because if God is omnipotent, then once again, human free will doesn't exist. So, James believed that the only possibility for free will is what he believed was a pluralistic universe. At the end of the day, he rejected the belief in an all-powerful deity. He believed that there was a spiritual world a world into which the human consciousness returned after death. But it was pluralistic. It wasn't uh, made up or composed of a, a single consciousness. It was multi, multiferous is the word that I, <laughs> I want to say. I don't even know if that's a, a real world, but, but populated by many, many different competing elements of consciousness. And James, at the end of the day, felt the human soul doesn't even necessarily survive independently after death, but it kind of merges into what he thought of as this sublime realm of consciousness, not as individuals. And of course, I have to say this, in James' lifetime, there was very little exploration of reincarnation. The evidence of reincarnation suggests that the individual soul does persist and can even occupy another one, another body, after death. So, uh, but in James' own era, that wasn't possible. His theory of survival then is unique. It's not a religious theory. It's not a scientific theory which would try to debunk the possibility of survival. It uh, doesn't maintain or require the existence of God, but it does suggest that there is a spiritual realm and uh, a realm into which consciousness can return, like a drop returning to the ocean, something of that sort. It was a unique contribution to our thinking about what human survival might be like. Now, an interesting thing about James and his concluding work is that uh, in his studies of Mrs. Piper and other uh, paranormal phenomenon, he had a research colleague, Richard Hodgson, who was paid. As, <laughs> I think Hodgson earned about $300 a year back in those days as a researcher uh, and uh, for the paranormal, paid by the Society for Psychical Research. I think occasionally paid out of William James' own personal funds, as, as James had inherited a small fortune, maybe even more than small. But Richard Hodgson died in 1905. William James didn't die until 1910. And after Hodgson's death, he began appearing as a communicator through Mrs. Piper, 
William James attended dozens of seances in which his dear friend Hodgson was communicating supposedly from the other side. And one of his final contributions, perhaps his greatest contribution to the field of psychical research, was a 200-page report in which he examined all of the communications purportedly coming from Hodgson. And what he basically said is, I'm impressed. These, the dramatic possibility that Hodgson was really communicating uh, impresses me. But I realize as a scientist, that's not enough. You need empirical data. You have to confirm, and you have to confirm it and test, weigh and balance the idea that Hodgson himself was communicating with about eight or nine alternative hypotheses. These alternative hypotheses range from fraud at one end of the spectrum to Hodgson actually was communicating at, at the other end and a whole range of intermediate hypotheses, including such things as uh, Hodgson, uh, the information that Mrs. Piper provided about Hodgson that she ought not to have known because there in many cases, no way that she could have known it, except what if Hodgson had told her when he was alive because he worked with her? Well, that seemed unlikely because, uh, according to William James, Hodgson was very careful not to do that. But it still remained a possibility, although James thought it was not likely. So, Things sort of ended up that way with him, basically him saying that, you know, we have to take the spiritualist hypothesis seriously in his book, his two-volume book on psychology. He, for example, reports on a case researched by Hodgson in Illinois, the Watsika Wonder case. It's a case of possession. And we've talked about it elsewhere. But James says this case, which was eventually removed from the single volume, shorter version of uh, his book on psychology, this case supports the spiritualist hypothesis. I think there's no question that James, towards the end of his life, subscribed to the spiritualist hypothesis. At the same time, I think it's pretty clear that he didn't feel that as an empirical scientist, that the evidence was yet, at the time of his death, absolutely convincing, persuasive, beyond a shadow of a doubt that the spiritualist hypothesis was established. He felt, even at the end of his life, that they could have done a better job. And uh, we know now, after another hundred years, that that the question is still problematic because no matter how strong the evidence comes from various mediums, which was the, the basic method then and is still today, although there are other lines of research today, including near-death experiences and electronic communication uh, with the departed and uh, terminal lucidity and deathbed visions, uh, and the reincarnation evidence. So we have many lines of evidence now pointing towards uh, some version of what an afterlife might be like. And I think William James' version is probably as, as good as any. Still, even today, 
the possibility that all of this evidence might be explained by what the philosopher Stephen Browdy calls living agent psi. In other words, basically ESP, telepathy amongst the living, could account for practically all the data. The only possibility of, of getting around the living agent psi speculation is to suggest that uh, maybe the cross-correspondences where a single spirit communicates different pieces of a message to different mediums on different continents even, and the message only makes sense when you put the pieces together. That, I think, might be a way of getting around the living agent side hypothesis because putting the pieces together would require a, a single mind, not the mediums, each acting independently of each other, I would think. Although you might say, well, they form a group mind and did it. There might always be a counter hypothesis until we can actually teleport back and forth between our physical reality and wherever this uh, hypothesis, uh, hypothesized afterlife exists. Today, I would suggest that the afterlife might exist in what we call hyperspace, dimensions of space separate from the three dimensions that we experience through our normal senses. But that's speculation on my part. And of course, James was speculating as well. And I think he really tried very hard and uh, sincerely to speculate in a way that wouldn't favor either the scientific skeptical position or the religious true believer in God position. He was always throughout his career looking for a middle ground. In fact, uh, Kristen Dillon Knapp book is based on that idea. He calls it the tertium quid, the idea that there was a third possibility in between hard-nosed skepticism and soft-minded gullibility. James spent his whole career trying to find that third possibility, although at the very end of his life, he basically gave in and said, no, I believe that some form of survival really occurs. Now, according to Knapp, that was an error on James' part. But I think, looking back today with the additional evidence that we now have from near-death experiences, reincarnation, and so on, one has to say that James was on the right track and that he was a very important pioneer in this area. And because he was such a prestigious scholar and philosopher, it would be a mistake, a big mistake, to think that he was in error. And in particular, because we now have hardcore experimental data, basically confirming not life after death, but clearly confirming uh, what James regarded as the baffling mystery of how Mrs. Piper and other mediums were able to acquire that information. Well, we don't have a mechanism for it yet, but we certainly have convincing experimental evidence under double-blind controlled conditions that uh, some form of anomalous information acquisition does indeed occur. So I'll uh, conclude my discussion here. Thank you very much for being with me.